It's good to see you guys this morning. If you will turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 7, where we've been for the past couple months and we'll continue today. uh, As we continue to worship Christ uh, together as we've done uh, this morning through uh, prayer, through uh, singing, uh, through communion and fellowship later and um, now through the opening of God's scriptures in the book of Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, let me pray and then we will dive into God's word together this morning. Father God in heaven, thank you uh, for this time to gather as your people, with your people, Lord, a time to open your scriptures and hear your word for us today. I got to thank you that you are holy, that you are good, that you are a gracious, loving father, uh, that that through Christ we could be your children adopted and uh, made new. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've inspired these scriptures to be written down and have preserved them for centuries for our benefit today. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would give us understanding in our minds, uh, that you would humble our hearts uh, to receive this good news of Christ, that you would change us to be more like Jesus personally in our families and as a church community together. I God, that you would use us uh, to to steward the gospel, the good news uh, in this community and, and ultimately to the world. God, we ask these things for your glory, for our joy, and that the good news of Christ would advance to the nations. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now if perfection had been made attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe of Moses, said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of the indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men and their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect 
forever. This is God's word. Friends, even the best thing you've ever done on your own needs to be atoned for. And the worst thing you've done is atoned for in Christ. The work of Christ is sufficient for us, for our lives, and for access to God. And this is good news for us. Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most heinous criminals in U.S. history. Between 1978 and 1991, he murdered 17 people. And if you read about the details of his crimes, it's horrific and sickening. He was arrested got the death penalty, and toward the end of his life, professed Christ, converting to Christianity. Apparently, one of the most heinous criminals in U.S. history, a twisted, sick man, became a Christian before he was executed. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Catholic Nobel Peace Prize winner, is the model of someone who truly would give her life away for the needs of others. In fact, it was easy for us, it's easy for us to compare someone, a good humanitarian, and say, wow, you're such a saint. I mean, you're like, like Mother Teresa, right? What do these two people have in common? What does Jeffrey Dahmer, a, a, a man who was twisted and did heinous crimes and imprisoned and executed for his crimes, and Mother Teresa, a Nobel Peace Prize winning saint. Well, what do these two people have in common? Christ. Jesus. You take someone who is at their worst and someone who is at their best, someone who takes the lives of others and implements suffering, but before their death repents, supposedly, pleads before God for forgiveness. And then you have someone else who gives her life away for the needs of others. See, you and I are somewhere in the spectrum. You and I are somewhere between the worst of humanity and the best of humanity. And here's the stark reality is that even the best thing you could possibly do ever in your life is still lacking something. It should not be discouraging to you <laughs> to say, hey, the best thing you've ever done still needs atonement, hmm? still needs to be atoned for by a priest, by somebody. And it should be freeing to you to know that the worst thing you've ever done ever is once and for all atoned for in Christ. See, this should give us great freedom, some great reliance, great hope, and great faith in Jesus, because apart from Him, we will be at our utter worst, and apart from Him, even our utter best is no better than our worst. But in Christ, even our worst can be forgiven and redeemed, and we can be rescued. And this is such good news. As we've seen in the book of Hebrews over the past couple 
uh, weeks that we've been studying this, we see how time and time again the author is is laying before the people, the, the first century Christian church, who um, had uh, many of whom had deep Jewish roots culturally and religiously. The author is writing out before them to say, hey, look, those, those traditions and culture, that's not bad. It's actually very, very good. It's so good, but even in its goodness, it's lacking something. Uh, the religious culture is good. The religious culture is, is, is noble. The religious culture has a purpose and a point. And that point is to draw us to Jesus. And there were those in the first century church that were saying, wait, wait a second, we want to we kind of revert back to our old traditions and old culture. We're not sure we want to we move forward with this Jesus guy. Or maybe we'll tack Jesus on to these things. And the author is saying, no, Jesus is not one of many good priests. Jesus is the ultimate priest. Jesus is not one of many good rescuers. He is the ultimate rescuer. Jesus is not one of many good prophets. He is the ultimate prophet. And this changes everything. So we get to chapter 7. And last week we're introduced to a man named Melchizedek. And if you read in the book of Genesis, and he's mentioned in the Psalms. As, we don't know a lot about him, but he's, he's, uh, his name means king of righteousness. He's, a, he's king in Salem. Salem means peace. So he's a king of righteousness, a king of uh, peace. He, uh, he is a priest and a king. And he's kind of the archetype of, of being this, this great priest that God used in an amazing way. And Abraham's life, Abraham, who was like the, the father of many nations, who's the great patriarch of, of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith as well. And we see that the story of Abraham coming to Melchizedek and submitting to him, understanding that he is a king and a priest who gives a peace and righteousness, points us to Jesus. And the author continues in chapter 7, where we are today, to show us that apart from Christ, even our best things are insufficient. But even our worst things are atoned for. We can see our Christless insufficiencies, both in our feeble, broken selfishness, but even in the good religious law. The author says this in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been made, excuse me, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? What he's saying here is, Look, the Levitical priesthood, you can read in, in the first couple books of the Old Testament, Leviticus as well, particularly, uh, about the, the structure that existed of, of religious life and religious culture for God's people. And the author is saying, look, if that was the end-all, be-all, there, there would never be a need for another priest later. There would never be a need for more and more priests. There would never be a need, ultimately, for, for Jesus if that if that uh, religious structure and if that if that um, a priestly uh, status would have been the end all be all with the law, then 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 what point would there have been for Jesus? There's something missing there. You see, verse eleven says this. Now, if perfection, that word perfection, uh, has a lot of meaning in the Bible. The word perfection can mean maturity. The word perfection can mean completeness. But in a specific context such as this, 
The word perfection means putting someone in the position where they can come or stand before God. That's what perfection means in this context. It does not only mean maturity, it does not only mean completeness, but perfection means being able to have access to God. Like in the religious context uh, with the priests and the law, it means perfection means you, you, can, you can approach God and stand before him, that you, can, that you can walk to get close to God. So what does the author say here? If perfection, if, if access to God had been attainable through the priesthood and through the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise? And what he's saying is, obviously, we cannot draw near to God in maturity and completeness in this religious context with this old school law alone. It's insufficient. Is it bad? No, it's actually really good, but it's insufficient. Perfection means access to God. And you and I try this in many ways today. I mean, uh, obviously we, we work hard. I mean, maybe we are in pursuit of wanting to be a better person. Maybe we are in pursuit of wanting to be accepted and loved by our Creator. Maybe we are wanting to, to have a spiritual connection with something or someone higher than ourselves. So we, we pursue wanting perfection. We, we pursue wanting access to God, right? Think, think of the ways you do this. It's not necessarily bad. You may be thinking, well, if I can just uh, have some sort of intellectual ascent, maybe I can study a lot and, and maybe in my mind I will feel uh, better and closer, be a better person and get a little closer to, to God maybe. Maybe you can think if I can have such a, a strict moral code, maybe that will make me clean. Maybe that will make me like holy and righteous and that, that way I'll be able to approach God, not in fear that I'm such a wicked person, but rather say, look, look how good I am. Look at my track record. I'm, I'm a good, good, stable person, right? Sometimes we do this through, uh, through intellectualism or through moralism. Sometimes we do things uh, religiously, even good things, with bad motivations. I mean, doing something good that's fueled by pride, it's not the gospel. It's not the good news of Jesus. Doing a good thing fueled by fear, doing something good fueled by guilt or shame, thinking, man, my past is so wicked. I'm so glad you didn't know me in college. If you only knew how, how dirty I was in college, man. I'm glad people didn't have smartphones when I was in college, just saying. YouTube, man, holy cow. I would have been in trouble. But in all that, all of our guilt and shame, all of our fear and pride... In our self-sufficiency, we are insufficient. But also, even the good religious, moral, and uh, priesthood and law context that God gave to his people. Here's the thing, God gave it to his people. God said, here's the priesthood I want to put in place. Here is the, the law. Here are the commandments I want you to live out. This is how I want you to live because I'm your God and you're my people. This is how you're to live. Not, not live this way so that you can become my people, but rather you are my people. So live this way. So this is what I expect from my people. Right? God gives this. I mean, you read the first couple books of the Old Testament. You see God is good. He's gracious. He's patient. His people are foolish and we're, we're foolish too. So I'm not picking on them. We're all we're just great. We're all like this. But he gives the law and the priesthood to point us to Jesus. We see in verse 19, 
Let's start at verse 18. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. Perfect, remember, means access to God, right? So the law makes nothing approachable to God. Or no one is able to approach God, have access to God through the law alone. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. It doesn't get any plainer than that. If you want to have close access to God, you can't be a good moral person on your own. You can't be a smart theological nerd on your own. Love you. I'm one. Right? You, you can't do these things on your own thinking, if I know all of this, I'll get closer to God. If I do all of this, I'll get closer to God. If I don't do that, maybe I can get close to God. If I can maybe have this spiritual experience, maybe I'll be close to God. If we do all of those things in our own strength, apart from Jesus, even good religious moral stuff, even taking the Bible and misapplying it does not give you access to God. That's the point. So, well, I do everything. The, I mean, there's a couple books that have been written over the couple years. Like one's called, I've not read them in their entirety, so I'm not going to pick on them. You can read them and let me know what you think. But one of them is like the year, the year of living biblically. And another one's something about uh, a year of biblical womanhood. Right? And I've, I've glanced at these books and I've read reviews on them. I've read portions of them and I thought, you're missing the point. <laughs> I mean, if you if you try to say, well, I'm going to live a year like a Levitical priest, and if that doesn't draw you to Jesus, the Bible says it's worthless, it's useless, right? It says a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. So I never want to be a church that says, come in here, and if you want to get close to God, you need to do X, Y, Z. And if you can do X, Y, and Z for six months and you show us you have a good, clean track record, maybe you can get close to Jesus. Uh-uh. That's misusing the Bible. All right? That's misusing God's Word. God's Word says this in verse 18. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Friends, the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of the law, the whole point of the priesthood, it is good, good, good. Not knocking it. It is so good. It's God's word. It's God's law. God gave it to his people because he is good and he is wise. But the whole point is that it would draw us to Jesus. It would show us our insufficiencies and say, we we can't do this on our own. We need something more. We need to be rescued. As smart as I am, I'll never be smart enough to just like, fire off arguments with the Lord. As moral as I am, I will never be as good as Jesus. I mean, as as giving as I can possibly be, just giving, 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 I can never be as generous as God. And the whole point is we see these things and it's to have us say, we need a better hope than this. Even the best hope we could possibly have is not good enough. We need a better hope. And here's the good news is that God delivers that better hope. The good news is that God says that better hope is here and his name is Jesus. The better hope is not do better, try harder, get smarter, get cleaner, behave, give more, do more. The better hope is Jesus who comes in and says, you see all of that priesthood stuff, as good as it is, I am the true and better priest. You see all of that righteous living, I can do that better than anybody, and I will do it on your behalf. You, you see these sacrifices that have to happen to, to atone for the sins of your wicked generation, 
I can take care of that on me. I will just do it once and for all, and it will be dealt with. You want access to God the Father? You come through me. I'm here. And that is our true and better hope. You see, the law is insufficient. The law cannot atone for our sins. Hebrews 10.4 says, The law cannot impart life. Galatians 3.21 says, The law cannot give us a clear conscience for good living. Hebrews 9.9 says, But the law is not pointless. The law points us to Jesus. The law has a purpose. So when I say the law of God is not insufficient, that doesn't mean it's not bad. It just means it's incomplete. The whole point is that we'd expect more and ultimately trust Jesus. So I want to ask you this. As we look at our Christless insufficiencies, as we look at the ways that we in our own strength try to have access to God for a good life, for for good uh, conscience, for a good way of living to atone for the sins of our past, as we look at that on our own strength, or as we look at the way we've tried to operate within culture and tradition, even good God-given biblical stuff, if that If there's no Christ in it, it's useless. If there's no Jesus in it, it's waste. It's pointless. And that's what the author is saying to us. He says it's weak and useless if there's no Jesus in it. So I want to ask you, as we pause and look at our Christless insufficiencies, what ways do you see this in your life personally? I mean, think about the big picture. What ways do you see this in our culture, the the Christless insufficiencies of good living and whatever? How do you see this in your life personally? Be honest, because it's there. It is in my life. can't tell you how many times as I was pursuing two master's degrees from two different seminaries that I thought to myself, "What, what, what am I doing? Like I'm putting my faith in a degree rather than in the Christ who this degree is to point me to. Seminaries can be spiritually dry places, friends. We start arguing about different kind of Greek words and forgetting that the whole point is Jesus. <laughs> like, what do you think about the postulate of the dog? I'm just like, dude. I went to this lunch one time at the seminary, and I was the one, <laughs> we got to eat with like, a famous theologian, and I sit down at the table, I'm wearing jeans and a polo shirt. <laughs> this guy looks at me and was like, are you supposed to be here? Everybody was wearing like coat and tie. I was like, hey, <laughs> can, you, can you pass the potatoes? Are you supposed to be here? I'm like, yeah, I got an invitation. <laughs> Sorry, I underdressed. <laughs> but I had the most questions at the table. Uh, Because I was wanting to learn and whatever. I don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So I want to ask you that. What ways do you experience Christless insufficiencies in your life? In what ways have you tried to atone for your own sin and guilt? In what ways have you said, man, I was so bad in college, let me do better in my 30s? Or if you're a local and you're still in college in your 30s, let me do better in my 40s. (laughs) Augusta State, yo. Here's the good news. Although there are Christless insufficiencies in culture and tradition in our lives personally, the good news of the Bible that we see in the book of Hebrews is this in verse 18 and 19. On the other hand, 
A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Who is that better hope, people? Jesus. We are complete in Christ. Complete meaning not only mature, not only, um, not only perfect, complete, but it means that the Christ's work is sufficient for us, that Christ's work on our behalf atones for sin, gives us life, gives us a good conscience for better living now, gives us access to God. And that is such good news for us. 1 Peter 2.24 says this, He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Friends, the good news of the gospel is you have been healed of your sin and guilt and past in Jesus. Not your doing, not culture, not tradition. In Christ you were loved by God. In Christ you were forgiven by God. Whether it's something you did 10 years ago or something you did last night, God loves you in Christ. It's good news. It's great news. We are complete in Christ. We are made perfect. We have access to God the Father. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. You cling to Jesus, your hope, and say, man, I'm filthy. Jesus, help me. I want to get to God, but I can't because I'm, I'm gross, man. I mean, I look all nice on the outside, but you have no idea what's going on in here or in here. God, help me. God says, here's Jesus. He's your hope. Right? He atones for our sins. We have been healed by Christ. We're complete in Christ because he gives us life. Jesus himself says this in John 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked that question. Do you believe this? Belief meaning not only intellectual understanding, but relational trust. Do you relationally trust Jesus? That he will give you life? Both now and for eternity? We are complete in Christ. We are perfect in Christ. Not, we, are, we are brought to maturity. We have access to God in Christ because he gives us life, atonement for sin. He gives us a, a clear conscience here and now. How many of you guys just, I mean, guilt is such a motivator, isn't it? You're just like, oh, man, I feel so bad. Forgot to call my mom yesterday. I guess I need to go over there today and bring her flowers and mow her grass and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that happened to you? Just me. Oh, boy. That was a true story once. Sometimes we're motivated by guilt because we forget something or do something foolish, even if it's not meant to be bad. We feel so guilty. We're like, oh, man, i got to make up for this. And we have just like heavy consciences. But here's the good news. In Christ, since he gives us access to God, we don't have to have a heavy conscience. As Hebrews 9, 13 and 14 says, For if the blood of goats and bulls, the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, it's talking about the, you know, it's not common language, right? It's ashes of a heifer. It's talking about uh, the sacrificial system that existed in the day. They would uh, sacrifice animals to not only atone for personal sin, but cultural sin of like a whole village. It says, look, if those things sanctify, that means to make holy for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
It's a huge passage. We're going to get there in a couple weeks. I'm going to preach that whole thing again, so I won't preach it now. But I'll just say this, that in Christ, you're not motivated by guilt, fear, or shame. You are motivated to new life, to living works, to serve God because he has made you clean and holy. The good news is we have access to God the Father through Christ. As Jesus said himself in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. Let me say that again. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. See, friends, apart from Christ, our best thing and our worst thing are both worthless and useless. And when you're at your worst and you're at your best, apart from Jesus, it's the same thing. If Mother Teresa didn't know Jesus, she's no better than Jeffrey Dahmer in that regard. If Jeffrey Dahmer knows Jesus, that puts him up on par with Mother Teresa to approach the throne of God. Like I said, I don't know his mind, but if he became a Christian like he said he did, if he trusted Jesus to forgive his wicked, nasty, perverse sins, if God could forgive that guy, he could forgive you. Right? Right? Believe it. Jesus said it. Do you believe this? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's my hope and plea for everyone in this room. Because I think we don't. I think half of us will walk out of this room tonight and we'll go to a Super Bowl party and we'll start dropping F-bombs and throwing popcorn because the Broncos aren't winning. Hmm? may drink too much and be late for work tomorrow because we got a little hangover and be like, oh, I feel guilty now. Oh, man, I'm in trouble. Well, I vow now to never drink again. I'm going to go apologize to everybody and I'm going to work extra hours to make up for my boss for being late. And I'm going to go and just try to make up for all my sins and all my wrongdoings and all my embarrassment. We'll do it tomorrow. And in that moment, we don't believe the gospel. In that moment, we are fueled by guilt and shame rather than the good news that in Christ you are atoned for, that you were forgiven, that you have access to God, that he wipes your conscience clean of guilt and shame, and that the motivation in your life is not fear, but rather the good news of grace. Verse 19 brings us to the most important point. <laughs> Jesus is our only hope. A better hope is introduced so we can draw near to God. And the author goes on to unpack this a little bit. It says, look, hey, we know this to be true. We know Jesus is our better hope. We know we can draw near to God through Jesus because God made an oath. God swore this. We know that this is a permanent thing. We know that, that, that Jesus is our better hope. You see, verse 20 says, verse 19 says, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Verse 20, it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. That comes from the book of Psalms, written several hundred years before Jesus, several hundred years before the book of Hebrews. The psalmist says, hey, look, this is a promise God made. God made this promise, and it will come to pass. God made this promise. He has sworn God will not change his mind. Jesus is a priest forever. 
You know, so so imagine being a first century Jew that says, hey, I love my culture. I love my tradition. I'm used to seeing just generation after generation of priests offer atonement to give us access to God and forgive our sins. And then Jesus comes in and says, I am the last priest. I am the true and better priest. There need to be no other priest than me. I'm going to take care of all this sin and all this wickedness. I'm going to give you access to God. I'm going to change your heart, change your mind. I'm going to forgive you, give you a new life, a new motivation, and all that you do. God promised this, he delivers, and Jesus is that priest forever. We need not expect another priest, and so many of us try to be our own priests. Jesus is the true and better priest. Verse 22, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Right, God made a promise, he delivers, and this promise is permanent. Verse 23, the former priests were uh, many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds this priesthood permanently. Because he continues forever. Right? So the same Jesus that looked at Simon Peter and and forgave him because Peter was like, I don't know Jesus, I'm kind of scared right now. They're like, they're beating him, they're going to hang him on a cross. I don't think I know that man. And Jesus dies, he's buried, comes back to life, and then looks Peter in the eye and forgives him. says, man, Peter, you're my guy. You were a coward in that moment. You denied even knowing me, but you're my guy. I forgive you. I love you. I'm going to send you out to take this good news elsewhere. And the great thing about that story is that Peter can't go around bragging how great he was. Read the Gospels. That's what I love about it. I mean, ah, Peter's like my favorite guy in the Bible. Apart from Jesus, Peter. Close second. I love Peter in the Bible because if you just read the Gospels, you know, he's... Man, I think I'm related to the guy because he just just talks constantly and just says dumb stuff right and left, right? Anybody? Yeah, yeah you're related to that guy. He's very rash. I mean, he, he, he cusses. He curses. Peter curses in the Bible. He is a foul-mouthed, rash, violent, grungy fisherman. Makes mistakes, walks with Jesus. Could have so much pride saying, Look, I'm one of Jesus' favorites. But then he cusses. I'm one of Jesus' favorites. Then he gets out a sword and chops off a guy's ear. I'm one of Jesus' favorites. Then he lies and says, I don't even know Jesus because I'm embarrassed and I'm scared. I'm a coward. And Jesus forgives him and says, I want you to go take the gospel all over the world and plant churches. And he does and writes some of the New Testament. That's amazing. Peter can't brag on himself, he made a bunch of mistakes. You know what? That's the best part, is his hope was not in himself. His hope was the better hope in Jesus. Peter was not a priest. Jesus was the perfect priest forever. This tangent was brought to you by the book of Hebrews. The good news is that Christ is your permanent priest. You have permanent access to God. You have permanent forgiveness from God. You have permanent new way of thinking and new way of living in Christ. It's permanent. Somebody asked me, I'm asked this question a lot. Somebody said, hey man, do you think you can lose your salvation? I said, no, because it's not your salvation to gain in the first place. You can't lose something that you didn't gain it's Christ's salvation of you. It's Christ's rescue of you. You can't lose something that you didn't get. So for Jesus to rescue you means he's rescued you for good. This should be great news for you. 
You shouldn't walk out of this room today thinking, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I mean, I prayed this prayer, but I messed up this weekend. Dude, you messed up. You blew it. Repent and trust Jesus. I don't mean to oversimplify the gospel. That's kind of it. Ongoing relational trust, like repent and believe, repent and believe. Repent means to turn from this, to turn to him, turn from sin, turn from good works, turn from being smart, turn from being moral, and turn to Jesus. You got to do that every day, man. And you know what? He's constant. He's a priest permanently, forever. He never will not be there. If you're saying, man, I'm going down this road again, just like I did in college, partying a little too much. There's Jesus. Or if you're saying, going down this road again, partying too much, maybe I should be moral. Still not looking to Jesus. Maybe I should, maybe I should be more religious. You're still not looking to Jesus. And there will never be a point where you say, I don't need this anymore, don't need that anymore, don't need that anymore. <gasps> Jesus! He'll never not be there. He will always be there. He is a permanent priest for you, permanently giving you atonement, permanently giving you forgiveness, permanently giving you a clean conscience from guilt, fear, and shame, permanently giving you access to God. Praise Jesus. Everybody should be a Christian today. Verse 26 says it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That describes Jesus. And the second we take our eyes off of Jesus, we put someone or something else in that place, and that makes you an idolater. Hmm? Sometimes we'll say, well... I need a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Maybe I'll go to this kind of church or this kind of spiritual experience or maybe this kind of moral living. We often put ourselves there and say, if I can just be right and holy, if I could just separate myself from sinners. Has that ever happened to you? Almost everybody in the South has a spiritual experience, myself included, where you say, I want to get close to God, so let me burn all my records. Let me get rid of the secular music. Let me stop going to that particular coffee shop or that particular whatever hangout place because I don't want to be around. And we try to, and, we're, and what we're doing is we're putting ourselves. We're thinking we're separating ourselves from sinners because that's just what we should do. No, this is not describing you. It's describing Jesus, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First for his own sins and those, then for the sins of the people. That's what the priests had to do. They had to make themselves holy before they could go uh, offer sacrifices on behalf of the village or whatever. Jesus didn't have to do that because he was perfect and holy from day one. So since he did it once for all when he offered up himself. Such good news. Jesus the Son has been made perfect forever. In Christ, we have total access to God. And I want you to hear that. And I want you to hear this. Since Jesus is the perfect priest and he is always there for you, he is always, you always have atonement from sin in Christ, in Christ alone. The only way you'll ever have forgiveness from sin is in Christ, period. You can't ever get rid of your wicked sin. You can't ever get rid of your brokenness. You can't ever heal yourself or fix yourself or clean yourself. You never, ever, ever be able to do that, ever. Ever. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's the truth. And because I love you, I want you to look to Jesus, who will take care of it for you. 
In Christ, you were loved by God. In Christ, you were accepted by God. In Christ, you were forgiven by God. You were new. You were a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. He treats you like a royal child. He loves you. He's rescuing you. He does so because he's loving and gracious and kind and good. And we blow it day after day. But he still loves us. He still forgives us. And he still accepts us. And if you're here today, I want to ask you this. I mean, if we've, we've said the best thing, even the best thing you've ever done needs to be atoned for because it's insufficient. And even the worst thing you've done has been atoned for in Christ so you can be released from that. The work of Christ is sufficient for us, gives us life and access to God. This is good news for us, and this should change everything. So I want to ask you now, in a time of reflection, how does this impact your life personally as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a father, as a wife or a mom, in the workplace, in your home, in the school, in the neighborhood in which you live, in this church? How does this change things for you? How does this change your motivation? How does this change how you relate to your spouse or significant other or your friends or other believers in this church or other believers at other churches or non-Christians? Does it change anything to you? And if you're not a Christian, I want you to know this. And this is for Christians, too. It's a great quote from a pastor and author in New York, Tim Keller, says this, Strong faith in a weak object fails. But even weak faith in a strong object succeeds. So if you're here today and you're saying, Man, I... uh, I'm such a person of faith. Mm. And if your faith is in yourself or in your resume or your track record or your tradition or culture or family or anything, you can have such strong faith. But if it's in something that's insufficient, it will fail you. But if you're here today and you're saying, Jeremy, I want to know Jesus and I want to figure out God here and I want to know how to relate to to the Father and the Creator of the universe, I want to do that. I don't really understand. Help me out here. Even that weak faith in someone as strong and perfect and eternal as Jesus succeeds. That's good news. So wherever you are in the spectrum, no matter how wicked you think you may be or maybe you actually are, or maybe how good you think you may be or maybe you're actually that good, those things are insufficient. Wherever you are in that spectrum, trust Jesus. Have weak faith and a strong Savior. And that will change everything for you, for us, for this church, for this city. It's good news. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. I got a, a time to open your Bible, your scriptures. God, your, your word can be complicated at times for us to understand. Your, your word can be like waiting in an ocean. God, just so rich, so deep, so multifaceted and beautiful. And God, just having a few minutes a week to gather is so hard. But Lord, I pray that you would give us glimpses of your grace as we look at your word, that you would give us glimpses of your goodness, that you give us just drops of your your sweet truth. (laughs) 
And God, that even us, of uh, whether we are veteran Christians or whether we are not Christians at all, Lord, if we're here just as seekers and doubters and skeptics, God, if we're here and we're hurting or if we're here and we're feeling joyful no matter what our mindset or faith background or anything, God, I thank you that you've brought us here. And God, I pray that you would give us each just a drop even of some weak faith, some weak relational trust in you, God, that we would see you as perfect and complete and and, and right and strong and powerful and unmoving and eternal. And God, that the shifting things of this world, including our culture and our whims and our mind and our emotions and even our our social status no matter what it is God, that we would not put strong faith in those weak things but rather we would have even just weak faith in you who is strong God, i thank you that you are a good and loving father that you love your children god i thank you that that jesus you are a true and better priest for us god i pray that this truth would be made real in our minds would be, be made real in our hearts god that you would make it real in our lives help us to know this truth help us to experience this truth god even help us to feel this truth god i know even now we are having to fight the lies that that we are not good enough that we are too dirty that we are too wrong that we have too bad of a past or God, that we're fighting the lie that, oh, we are good enough. Look how, look how right and good we are. God, I pray that those lies, both of those kind of lies, would be just demolished with the gospel, with the good news that only in you, Jesus, do we have access to God the Father. That only in you, Jesus, are we totally and permanently forever forgiven and atoned for from any sin and wickedness and dirtiness and brokenness. And God, that you heal us in Christ. And God, I pray that we would constantly repent, that we would turn away from sin and wickedness, that we would turn away from our prideful, intellectual, moral religiosity God that we would turn away from those things and humbly cling to you Jesus our only hope our true and better hope our good hope our perfect high priest Jesus rescue your people please rescue me rescue my family rescue this church rescue us we pray and we thank you God for your glory and our joy Amen